0: Uh, Once you get there, if you look at the the superscript, um, this song has one of the most unique superscripts in all of the Psalms. Most of the time, we're given the human author, uh, maybe some historical background is described, but Psalm 102, it says, This is a prayer of the afflicted when he is overwhelmed and pours out his complaint before the Lord. So that's what the Psalm's about, and that being the case... Uh, we've learned there's different genres of psalms. Um, That being the case, what genre do you think Psalm 102 would be categorized? It's definitely a lament, a lament-type psalm. I don't know if you remember what that is because it's also been a while since we were in one of those. Um, A lament is the cry of God's people when what they know to be true about him is not lining up with their current experience or life circumstances. And as we study these 28 verses, uh, I'm sure you'll also notice that there's some messianic references, so it can also fit into a a messianic uh, genre of psalms. In more than a few of these verses, you can almost hear the words of Jesus on the cross as he hung there for us. Uh, We're also taken far into the future here in this psalm, at least far according to when this psalm was written, were taken to the future, to that day when Jesus returns and when he sets up his millennial reign here on earth. Uh, the New Testament even quotes the end of this psalm in the book of Hebrews as specifically pertaining to Jesus. So let's read Psalm 102. It says, hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee, Hide not thy face from me in the day when I am in trouble. Incline thine ear unto me in the day when I call. Answer me speedily. For my days are consumed like smoke, and my bones are burned as an hearth. My heart is smitten and wither like grass, so that I forget to eat my bread. By reason of the voice of my groaning, my bones cleave to my skin. I am like a pelican of the wilderness. I am like an owl of the desert. I watch. I am as a sparrow alone upon a housetop. My enemies reproach me all the day, and they that are mad against me are sworn against me. For I have eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping because of thine indignation and thy wrath. For thou hast lifted me up and cast me down. My days are like a shadow that declineth, and I am withered like grass. But thou, O Lord... Shall endure forever, and thy remembrance unto all generations. Thou shalt arise and have mercy upon Zion, for the time to favor her, yea, the set time is come. For thy servants take pleasure in her stones and favor the dust thereof. And so the heathen shall fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth, thy glory. When the Lord shall build up Zion, he shall appear in his glory. He will regard the prayer of the destitute and not despise their prayer. This shall be written for the generation to come. And the people which shall be created shall praise the Lord. For he hath looked down from the height of his sanctuary, from heaven did the Lord behold the earth, to hear the groaning of the prisoner, and to loose those that are appointed to death, to declare the name of the Lord in Zion, his praise in Jerusalem, when the people are gathered together in the kingdoms to serve the Lord. He weakened my strength in the way. He shortened my days. And I said, O oh my God, take me not away in the midst of my days. Thy years are throughout all generations. Of old, thou hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment. As a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall have no end. And the children of thy servants shall continue, and their seed shall be established before thee. Let's pray. Father, we come to this song you've given us here. And once again, we're reminded, because we need to be, of of what to do when we find ourselves in places of fear or battling the circumstances that cause that. And so, Lord, I I pray what we we would do, um, what what you've shown us over and over, do. um, Lord, that we would would focus on the facts, um, the truths that you relate to us here. Lord, that we would also uh, rise to faith. God, and we know that we have to trust your word. We know your word is powerful and it's alive. And God, I pray that tonight we would embrace it. God, we also lift up Pastor Daniel and ask for healing there. Um, God, I I pray that you would take away the symptoms he's having right now. I know it's his heart to be here. And um, God, I I pray that you would uh, watch over his family too and help none of them to to get sick. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. So as is the case in all um, of the lament type, moving from fear to faith songs, Psalm 102 begins with the communication of fear. But uh, in verse 1, please notice who this afflicted one communicates his or her fear to. It's to God, right? Um, It says, hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry Come unto thee. Not hear my complaint, O friend. Not um, hear my struggle, Dr. Phil. Hear my cry, O Lord. Uh, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to thee. And so I hope we have learned in all these moving from fear to faith Psalms that when we begin to deal with fear or the terrible life circumstances behind our fears, that we should do what the psalmist has always done every single time and start with prayer. And we finally learned to begin to deal with fear by going to God in very honest prayer, communicating our fears to the one who already knows how we're feeling anyway, but who is also the only one who can actually affect a change, be that a change in our circumstances or maybe a change in us. And the prayer continues in verse 2. Don't hide your face from me, God, because I'm in trouble today, he says. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily, Lord. And there's a noticeable progression of intensity in this prayer. Don't hide from me. Incline. Bend down. Give me your attention, God. And then answer me, Lord. And then in verses 3 through 11, the prayer contains... Uh, those very honest details of this afflicted one's fear and the life circumstances behind it. They, they tell God, this is how I'm feeling right now, God. Verse 3, my life, um, it is, right now it feels as substantive as, as smoke that just uh, dissipates away. My, my bones feel like charred ashes. And verse 4, he says, um, it feels like my heart's been cut and I feel like grass that's been cut and then it's just left there uh, in the sun to dry up and wither. He he says, it's so bad, I haven't even had an appetite. There's been very few occasions I felt that bad, but that's how bad this guy feels. Verse 5, I've been audibly crying so much, I feel like I'm wasting away, is what he says there. I'm just skin and bones, no health, no vitality, And then in verses 6 and 7, if the suffering itself was not bad enough, he says, now I'm struggling with solitude. I feel like those birds that you see that are all alone. He gave some examples, a pelican, an owl out in the desert, a little sparrow. And then look at verse 8, and whether this is the root of the whole problem or just an additional compounding affliction, he says, Lord, I have enemies and they make fun of me in my current situation, all day long. Verse 9, my food has been dried up ashes. That's not very tasty. My beverage, the only thing I'm drinking right now is, is the tears that I've shed. And then it's here in verse 10 that the afflicted one realizes, he remembers, God is in control. And God has either allowed this in his life or he's purposefully sent this in verse 10. And he says, it feels like, God, you've lifted me up, but, but only to throw me down to the ground. I want you to like kind of mentally picture a, a wrestling or judo move. You know, fall is hard, but the higher the height from which you fall, um, the harder the impact. And then this section here closes in verse 11. And this verse returns to how it all started in verse 3. He says, I'm, I'm about gone. Uh, like a shadow, I like grass. My, my life right now it fe- feels uh, ethereal, very delicate, very fragile. Like This might be it for me. This might be it. This guy's in a bad place, isn't he? I mean, we don't know who the human author is for sure. He's not listed here. We know David wrote the vast majority of the Psalms, even ones that don't. Um, don't have him in the superscript. You can tell from different things in the Psalm that... He was probably the human author. Could this fit with David's life? I mean, do we know about certain events in David's life where he was so bad off and so near death that he wondered if this was it? And there's a couple. Do you remember when his son Absalom attempted a coup against David's kingdom? David had quickly, quickly flee the city. And it was public knowledge that Absalom. He wanted to kill David. He was on a mission to do that. And as David fled the palace, it's recorded that he wondered if God had only lifted him up to become king just to send him crashing down. And can you imagine the emotional pain of being done this way by one of your own children? Especially one that you have been particularly gracious to recently. And um, whether that's a background or not, we can probably all relate and apply the cry of this afflicted one to to some season in our life. But did we do what he does here? Uh, Do we communicate our fears honestly with the Lord in prayer as a first response? Or was it a last resort, if it happened at all? And, And then, more importantly, what will we do the next time we find ourselves afflicted? Will we finally learn to follow this frequently prescribed moving from fear to faith pattern. That's step one. Now on to step two, and it's a very important one. Uh, A contemplation of the facts. So what facts are we always directed in these moving from fear to faith psalms to contemplate? Who God is, what God has done, or maybe is doing, and then of course what God has promised to do. Uh, These type of songs almost always begin with that first one. Who God is. His character. And so in the the rest of these verses, what truths are we directed to regarding who God is for us in these verses? Look at verse 12. It says, But thou, O Lord, shalt endure forever, and thy remembrance unto all generations. So, who is God here? We're reminded he's eternal. His eternality is being contemplated as this afflicted one, uh, very intentionally and willfully, now shifts his focus from self to Savior. And that occurs. A, few more times in the rest of this song. I hope you notice the contrast. Because in verses 1 through 11 when he was describing himself and his fear and the circumstances behind his fear, uh, a lot was said about dissipating smoke and withered grass and disappearing shadows. But from here on out, a lot is said about God and his eternality and his unchangeableness and his dependability. There's there's such a switch up in pronouns here. Uh, In verses uh, 1 through 11, uh, they're full of self. I counted at least 15 of uh, me, my, or mines and "eyes," but there's, there's none. There's zero uh, in this contemplating the facts section. And we might should take note of that in reminding ourselves how important this second step out of fear and faith is and what it should look like in our lives. Has God hit his face? Is he totally unaware of what's going on? Did he just find out about everything this afflicted one is going through uh, in the prayer? No, verse 13 says, he will arise and he'll have mercy upon Zion for the time to favor her. Yea, the set time is come. Well, that's good news. Uh, finally, some action, right? Uh, it's time for God to act. Has he? Has he acted to save us? in jesus christ for sure right um this afflicted one as he contemplates this fact he's given a holy spirit inspired glimpse into christ's first coming when god did arise and have mercy on his people and favor her and he gives a further glimpse into what's even future for us here this evening uh to christ's second coming that that time that God, and only God, knows when our salvation will be full and final. In verse 14, he gives us an indication that this might be written uh, or referring to that period of time for God's people when the temple and the walls of Jerusalem would lay in ruins. And when it says things like, uh, the servants take pleasure in her stones and favor the dust thereof. But we know what happened. God would propel, and he'd provide for his people to rebuild those walls, to rebuild that temple. That's what the whole books of Ezra and Nehemiah are about. And that's going to happen again at Christ's second coming. And it's then that the, what God has promised to do of verses 15 to 17 will be fulfilled when Christ returns for us. The heathen, it says, the heathen shall fear the name of the Lord, all the kings of the earth, his glory The Lord shall build up Zion. He shall appear in his glory. He will regard the prayer of the destitute, not despise their prayer. And Did you notice here the the almost seamless movement from who God is to what God has done and what God's promised to do? There's something very interesting and unique uh, as I studied and meditated on this special song here. This is not a new formula. Um, I would say that as we have walked through the Psalms together on Wednesday evenings, the vast majority of them have been moving from fear to faith psalms. Tommy hasn't really had to mess with that slide a whole lot, except change the bottom uh, chapter number. So hopefully we're solidly familiar with this focusing on the fact up and how essential it is for moving out of fear and, and rising to faith. That's good for us. That's glorifying to God. But if I were to ask each one of you tonight what your favorite character, quality, or, or attribute, whatever you want to call it, trait about God is, because that's what we're focusing on, who God is, uh, I suppose responses would, there'd be probably plenty of his love. That's a good one. Our God is love. Um, his grace. We serve a very gracious God. His mercy. We do not get what we deserve. And I know there would be some that would say his uh, His sovereignty. <laughs> because that can really help you and I relax. (laughs) Or his omnipotence, or his omniscience, or his omnipresence. And there may or there may not be an answer that lines up with the character quality that God wants us to highlight here and meditate on here and contemplate here. This attribute, God's eternality. So can I communicate its importance to you? Uh, A.W. Tozer wrote that the everlastingness of God Uh, It is so important that it is necessary to give meaning to every Christian doctrine. Uh, Nothing else in the Bible would retain its significance if the idea of God being eternal were extracted out of it. So so really, um, if one of those was your favorite character quality of God, awesome. Keep it, love it, embrace it, but um, it really only has meaning because of the eternality of God. And this was the declaration of Moses in the psalm that God had him write, Psalm 90. He said, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. And that's great news for us. Uh, Because God is eternal, he can be, and he will continue forever to be our safe home for his time-constrained children. Uh, Because God lives in an everlasting now, God has no past Or future. Whenever time words appear in God's word in scripture, they refer to our time, not his. God promises us in Isaiah 46, 9 through 10, I am God, and there is none like me. I declare the end from the beginning. And so why is contemplation of this fact, God's eternality, why is it such an incredible source of comfort that can move us from fear to faith? Well, because he has already lived all of our tomorrows. He has already lived, not just known about them, not just know what's going to happen, because he has already lived all of our tomorrows just as he has already lived all of our yesterdays. That's a source of great comfort for us. Uh, For him, everything that will happen has already happened. Does your brain hurt? (laughs) Mine too. (laughs) And that's good because it means we love and we serve and we're cared for by a pretty awesome and magnificent God that we might not always be able to wrap our minds around, even when he declares who he is and wants us to meditate and contemplate on that. We are told in Ecclesiastes uh, that God has set eternity in our hearts. We don't understand it the same way he does just yet, meaning what that means is is that we know, we know that this right here and everything you've experienced today, this is not all there is. (laughs) Um, we were made for eternity. But because of our sin, we're forced to dwell within time. And that is why God is directing our hearts here to his eternality, as well as the eternality of those who are his. When we find ourselves uh, like this fellow, an afflicted one, and crying out to him in prayer, uh, here in his eternality, in in Psalm 102's emphasis of it, he reminds us that he will save. That There is coming a day... When no heartache shall come, no more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye. There was a Benedictine monk uh, in the 1100s. He had a funny name. His name was Bernard of Cluny. But I want you to listen to this beautiful poem he wrote. He said, brief life is here our portion. Brief sorrow with short-lived care. But the life that knows no ending, the tearless life is there. There God, our king in portion, in fullness of his grace, we then shall see forever and worship face to face. We sang about that earlier, and we're going to sing about it some more. Uh, because you and I, because we live on this side of the cross, and we have the precious promises of the New Testament, we have way more revelation than even this human author of this psalm had for his faith. Well, then, We ought to come to the same conclusion that he does here. And he concludes in faith in verses 18 to 28. Look at verse 18. It says, This shall be written for the generation to come, and the people which shall be created, they'll praise the Lord. What's he talking about? This shall be written. God's eternality, but even broader, Psalm 102. This shall be written for the generation to come. And it was. We're studying it. Thousands of years later this evening. We have these truths here in Psalm 102 to pluck us out of fear and to propel us to faith. And what have you written down? Can I just encourage you to give a faith-building gift to yourself and to your family? I would bet that in your Bible you have some blank pages either in the front or the back. Um, Why don't you fill those up? I mean, uh, write on them the works of God. Those things he has done in your life. I mean, think back. Take some time later tonight, the rest of this week. It's, man, I remember when he did this? <laughs> I didn't think we were going to make it, and, and then he came through. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. You know, um, I guess like a work, works of God journal. If, if you don't have it, maybe you already got them and filled up. We'll start one. Start a separate one. Go buy one of those little journals at Walmart, right? And and listen, write them for yourself. So you have quick access whenever you find yourself afflicted and when you begin to doubt who God is or what God's done or what God's promised. But write them also for the generation to come, for the people which shall be created so that they can praise the Lord by choosing faith. What a gift uh, that would be to your kids and to your grandkids. I'm very blessed to have my grandma's my, my dad's mom's and my mom's dad's Bible and to read those kind of things in there and to look at his notes and uh, just see how God had worked. We're directed uh, to Jesus, as he is called in Hebrews, the author and finisher of our faith, in verses 19 to 21. It says, For he hath looked down from the height of his sanctuary, from heaven did the Lord behold the earth. Why? To hear the groaning of the prisoner, and to loose those that are appointed to death, to declare the name of the Lord in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem. Do you see Jesus here? And God, what he's done for us in Jesus, in Jesus Christ, did God do this for us when Christ first came? Did he look down? Did he hear the groaning of the prisoner? Uh, By dying on the cross for us and rising from the empty tomb, did he loose those who were appointed to death? Yes. And he'll do the same thing for us. It'll be full. It'll be final when he returns. He'll look down from heaven. Right now he's doing that. He hears the groans of those faithful Christians as we we do our best to persevere in this world and be on mission for him in this world. And he'll loose those, even who have gone on before us. Right now, their spirits are with him, but he'll loose those bodies, and he'll give them a new body, loose those appointed to death. This is what verse 22 refers to, his return, when the people are gathered together and the kingdoms to serve the Lord. Man, that'll be a time. News will be really boring. You won't have Putin did this and so-and-so did this because there'll only be one king. And there'll be no rebellion. <laughs> we'll all be in submission to him. Man's fragility and, and our being restricted to time, that's once more contrasted with God's eternality in verses 23 and 24. He says, he weakened my strength in the way, He shortened my days. I said, oh, my God, take me not away in the midst of my days. Thy years are throughout all generations. But it's the last four verses here that are quoted by God in Hebrews 1, 10 through 12, and they are applied there to Jesus Christ. He is the one who laid the foundation of the earth. We learn that in Colossians in the Gospel of John, the beginning of Hebrews. The heavens and the earth, they're the work of Christ's hands. He's referred to as the ancient of days in the Old Testament prophets. But this creation, it says here that they will perish. Verse 26. Everything he's created will perish. And they, and they will. Um, it says they will wax old as a garment. Well, that's happening right now. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like a waxed old garment. <laughs> uh, like old worn out clothes, one day Jesus will change them. It says here, and they will be changed. But what about him? Does he change? No. He will endure because he is eternal. He is the same. What does it say in Hebrews? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, forever, right? Forever. And then I love the end. What hope we have here. The children of his servants will continue. Their seed shall be established before him. Um, The church is now as eternal as he is. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. It it might get smaller from time to time in our perspective. Um, It will be refined through persecution or through temptations. Um, Those who profess to be a part of the church but never truly were, yet they might fall away. But his church, his bride, will not go away. They shall continue. Their seed shall be established. I, I don't know if you have just come out of being an afflicted one or if you're currently afflicted, or um, if sometime later this week you'll find yourself praying like this guy did in verses 1 through 11. But God has once more shown us how to leave fear and rise to faith. We have to focus on the facts. Um, Here we're primarily called to contemplate on his eternality. And then for those who will in faith, they they receive life eternal when they trust in the Ancient of Days. And we're called in Psalm 102 to contemplate as well on our eternal destiny. What's ahead for those who receive Jesus as their Savior. Will you do that? Will you contemplate on this faith-fueling fact? Will you pray tonight what was prayed in verse 13? There's nothing wrong with praying that. The set time has come. (laughs) He's saying, I want that now. Like, Jesus, you can return now. We sing that, don't we? Lord, haste the day. We're about to sing that. Lord, haste the day when our faith Be sight And uh, and Jesus, you'll do what you have described you're going to do in verse 26. When you roll back the clouds like a a scroll, it shall be changed. In the midst of your affliction, don't ever forget whose you are. That you belong to, that you're lovingly cared for by the eternal one, by the ancient of days. If you keep that in front of you, um, you will flee fear. And, And you will find yourself... And a place of faith that's good for you and glorifying to God. I have a praise team come up. Why don't you lead us in a couple of songs that will help us uh, apply these truths.